Treasures from the golden age of radio. You're listening to the amazing world of radio with Adam Graham. Welcome to the amazing world of radio from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Well, our summer of Angela Lansbury concludes, brought to you by the Patreon supporters of the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio at patreon.greatdetectives.net. Today we're going to bring you another anthology program. It's an episode of the NBC Star Playhouse. The original air date is December the 6th of 1953, and the title is Cashel Byron's Profession. There's a parade of great music Monday nights on NBC when your railroad hour brings you Elaine Malvin and Gordon McRae with the sparkling music of Victor Herbert's operetta Sweethearts, followed by the rich tenor voice of Robert Roundsville, guest artist on the Voice of Firestone musical Half Hour. Later, enjoy the telephone hour with the Bell Symphonic Orchestra. And then, top off your evening when Paul Laval leads the Band of America in a stirring half hour of music in the March tempo. Yes, all great listening on your Monday night of music on NBC. And now stay tuned for NBC Star Playhouse on NBC. The NBC Star Playhouse. NBC presents Helen Hayes, Frederick March, Rex Harrison, Lily Palmer, and many others of the most eminent actors of our time, Transcribed in the NBC Star Playhouse. And here is our host, John Chapman, drama critic of the New York Daily News, to introduce this week's star and play. Mr. Chapman. Thank you. And welcome to our audience, including me. The performance this time, a dramatization of George Bernard Shaw's novel, Cashel Byron's Profession, is coming from Hollywood. And I'm in the New York studio, eager to hear how our West Coast's company comes out with the story of a prizefighter and a lady. Even a subnormal quiz kid could tell you that Shaw was a playwright. But the great man followed many other writing professions, including being a novelist. You might think that Shaw would have made a play out of his own book about Cashel Byron, but he never did. Two other men did, though. An actor named Harrison J. Wolfe adopted Cashel Byron's profession for just one special matinee. Later on, a good dramatist named Hugh Stangy made a play version for a boxer who had turned actor named James J. Corbett. In the performance we are about to hear, a dramatization by Ernest Canoy, the girl will be played by Hollywood's Angela Lansbury in place of Jane Wyman, who is ill. Cashel Byron will be played by Dan O'Herlihy. So, hello, Hollywood. On with the play. Wilstoken Castle in the year of 1881 was indeed a triumph of native English architecture. There were circular bastions terminating skyward in a Turkish minaret. 
The southwest was pierced by a Moorish arch in the cleft of which stood a black marble figure of an Egyptian gazing steadfastly at an Italian terrace with two great stone elephants at the end of the balustrade. A gravel path wound through the pleasant green sward of the park, dipping hither and yon into wooded glades. Along the path strode Miss Lydia Carew, the present owner of the castle. Miss Carew's stride exceeded by some slight degree the approved pace of a lady of her class and financial position, so much so that her cousin, Mr. Lucian Webber, was forced into an undignified trot to keep up with her. Lydia, please, I must give you the complete accounts of the estate before I say goodbye. Yes, I've arranged everything and I'm preparing to hand over the accounts. Now, if you'll only sit down upon this bench. Very well. Well, first, as to the Warren Lodge. It is left for a month only. Who are the present tenants? The tenant is a young gentleman who has come to recruit his health. He needs daily exercise in the open here and he has only a single attendant with him. I hope the young gentleman is not mad. Well, no, I satisfied myself before I left the lodge to him. He strongly recommended to me by Lord Worthington, whom I believe to be a man of honor, notwithstanding his inveterate love of sport. Uh, probably some college friend of Worthington's. Uh, I fancy he has upset his nerves by hard reading. I should rather expect a college friend of Lord Worthington's to be more troubled with hard riding or perhaps hard drinking. Oh, you may be quite at ease, Lydia. I took Lord Worthington at his word. I've never seen the real tenant, but though I do not even recollect his name, I will venture to answer for him at second hand. I'm quite satisfied, Lucian. Is that all? No. Oh, no. no. I am concerned about your choice of a companion. You mean Alice Goff? She will be a most unsuitable companion for you. Why? She is younger than you, and therefore cannot chaperone you. She is self-willed and will probably take your patronage in bad part. Is she more self-willed than I? self-willed, Lydia, except that you're deaf to advice. You mean that I seldom follow it. And so you think I'd better employ a professional companion, a decayed gentlewoman, than save this young girl from going out as a governess and beginning to decay before the age of 23. The business of getting a suitable companion at the pleasure or duty of relieving poor people are two different things, Lydia. Not necessarily in my case. My dear cousin, I'm in my 25th year, and I'm the independent possessor of an annual income equal to the year's earnings of 500 workmen and under no external compulsion to do anything in return for it. I can afford to indulge myself. Who's that? That sounds like a wild beast. You get behind me, Lydia. My dear Lucian, you are armed at the moment with a pair of white gloves and a silk hat. I'd at least have my parasol. Would it not be more logical for you to get behind me? Lydia, this is no time for paradox. It may be dogs. Oh, no. There. I see it. Oh, where? 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 He's gone. Who, where, who was it? A Greek god. Hermes of Praxiteles. Oh, Lydia. But it was. It was a man. Quite unclosed. Lydia. To the waist. He leapt across the clearing like a satyr. Well, well, I fancy it was the tenant of the lodge exercise. I suppose so. He did appear some antique god. Well, come along, Lucien. Miss Goff is waiting in the drawing room. Miss Garth, have I kept you waiting? Not at all, Miss Carew. Miss Garth, I am greatly in want of a friend and companion of my age and position. I think you must be equally so. You're very kind, but our positions are quite different, Miss Carew. The fact is that I cannot afford to live an idle life. 
We are very poor, and my mother is partly dependent on my exertions. I think you will be able to exert yourself to good purpose if you come to me. It is true that I shall give you very expensive habits, but I will, of course, enable you to support them. I do not wish to contract expensive habits, Miss Carew. I shall have to content myself with frugal ones throughout my life. Not necessarily. If you do not come with me, you will probably become a teacher. You are not at all fitted for it, and you will end up by marrying. As a teacher, you could not marry very well. As an idle lady with expensive tastes, you will marry very well indeed. It is quite an art to know how to be rich, an indispensable art if you mean to marry a rich man. I have no intention of marrying. I shall come without any ulterior motive, Miss Carew. Now, Miss Goff, I trust you will join me in the carriage, for I must pack my cousin, Mr. Lucian Weber, off to London. He doesn't approve of me, and a separation of some miles will improve both our dispositions. Lucian, is that not Lord Worthington on the platform? I believe so. Do you think he'll come over and talk to us? Why should you want him to? He has no culture, say that of the turf. You know, Lucian, I like him because he has not read the books from which he has borrowed his opinions. Indeed, from their freshness, I should not be surprised to learn that he's gotten them firsthand from living men or even from his own observations of life. <clears throat> Miss Goff, perhaps I should explain to you that Lord Worthington is a young gentleman... Whose calendar is the racing calendar and who interests himself in favourites and outsiders much as Lucian does in time ministers and independent radicals. Would you like to go to Ascot, Alice? I've never been to a race, and I have no desire to go to one. Oh, you'll change your mind in time for next year's meeting. A race interests everyone, which is more than can be said for the opera or the academy. Oh. What is it? There he is. Who? Hermes. Hermes? The young man talking to Lord Worthington. He's the one we saw in the wood this afternoon. I must say I preferred his costume as a satyr. Straw hat and the canary-colored jacket quite spoil the effect. Come along. Uh, Lydia, Lydia, where are you going? Take care of yourself like a good fellow, won't you? Remember, if it lasts a second over the 15 minutes, I shall drop 500 pounds. Well, your money's as safe as the mint, my boy. Lord Worthington. Hmm? Oh, how do you do, Miss Carew? If your friend is my tenant, introduce him to me, pray. You really wish it, Miss Carew? Of course. Is there any reason... Oh, no, 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 no. Since you wish it, Mr. Cashel Byron, Miss Carew. How do you do, Miss Carew? It is a pleasure, Mr. Byron. Oh, there goes the train. Remember, Byron... Take care of yourself. Goodbye, Lydia. Miss Goff. Goodbye. Take care of yourself, Byron. All right, never you fear, sir. We are returning to the park, Mr. Cashel Byron. Oh, so am I. May we offer you the hospitality of our carriage? Why, yes. (laughs) Yes, yes, thank you. This way, Mr. Byron. After you, Miss Carew. No, I saw you in the park this afternoon, and <laughs> I thought you were a ghost. Did you? My trainer, uh, my, my, my man, I mean, uh, he saw you too. I, I didn't believe you were genuine. Strange. I had the same fancy about you. Uh, uh. Um, I hope that you are better. 
Uh, I beg your pardon? Lord Worthington has been telling us about you. He mentioned that you came down here to recruit your help. He didn't tell you anything else about me, did he? No, nothing else. I thought you might have heard my name somewhere. Why, do you know any friend of mine? Oh, no, no. Only Lord Worthington. <laughs> so you really took me for a ghost? I thought at first you were a statue. Uh, statue? You do not seem flattered by that. Oh, well, it's not flattering to be taken for a lump of stone. You shouldn't have seen me, though. Mellish fancies that if anyone gets a glimpse of me, he won't get any odds. I beg your pardon, Mr. Byron? Oh, nothing, nothing. Well, here's where I shall leave you. Let me open the door. No need. Oh. There, now. Good afternoon, Miss Carew. Miss Goff? Good afternoon, Mr. Byron. Well, do you think that that man is a gentleman? How can I possibly tell? We hardly know him. But what do you think? There's always a certain something about a gentleman that one recognizes by instinct. Is there? I've never observed it. Have you not? I thought one could always tell. Perhaps so. For my own part, I have found that some people enjoy a native distinction and a grace of manner. That's what I mean. But they are seldom ladies and gentlemen. Often actors, gypsies, and Celtic or well, foreign peasants. However, in the case of this Mr. Cashel Byron, I... Are you curious about him? Well, not in the least. I am. He interests me. I seldom see anything novel in humanity. And he is a very singular man. I meant that I take no special interest in him. I'm sure that he has some object or occupation in life. He has not the air of an idler. Yet I have thought of all the ordinary professions, and he does not seem to fit into any one of them. Still, I'm loath to believe that he is an invalid student. At all events, we've got a topic, and that is an important home comfort in the country. Cashel. Huh? Are you daft sitting there in the draft with the door open? You'll get a Charlie horse. Leave me alone, Mellish. Sure, lad, sure. Now, come inside in the warm. Ah, you see? Time to go to roost. Time to go to the devil. I'm going out. Oh, yes, yes. Go out and get a chill. Not if I know it, you don't. I want to take a walk around the place. If you put your foot outside the door tonight, Lord Worthington's going to lose his 500 pounds. What's the use of my sweating you and running and sparring if you're going out to breathe that night air? Pure poison. That's what it is. You'll get yourself licked. Will you bet two to one that I don't knock the Flying Dutchman out of time? Now, come on, Cashel. Have some common sense. I'm advising you for your own good. It's me own reputation that suffers. When a man I train gets beat, Mellish let him down. That's what they'll say. Why, last night in the local... You were at the pub, Mellish? Now, look... Don't let it out down here that I'm a fighting man, do you hear? Me let it out? Is it likely? Now I ask you, Cashel Byron, is it likely? You think I want the coppers down here and me up before some blue-nosed magistrate charged with illegal prize fighting? Some of the chaps around the pub are generous with their liquor when they can get sporting news for it. Yeah, you needn't trouble about me. That's what we're here for, in the perishing country, isn't it? Peace and quiet. No coppers knock, poking his... Knows about looking to ruin a respectable professional man. Here, uh, where are you going? For a walk. Perhaps I'll come back in half an hour. Perhaps I won't. Well, well, look here. We won't quarrel about a minute or two. I feel a need of a walk myself. I'll come with you. Don't follow me, Mellish. Follow you? 
I'll follow you when they cart you off from the ring on a shutter, fighting man. Mr. Byron. Mr. Castle Byron. Oh. Oh, how do you do, Miss Carew? You're out late. I enjoy the moonlight. Is this night air beneficial for your condition? Well, I've been told it's not. Uh, do you mind if I sit beside you in the grass? It seems rude to talk down to you from a height. I'm told that you are a student, Mr. Cashel Byron. What are your favorite studies? I'm a professor. Professor? Of what? Science. Physical or moral science? Physical science. But there's <laughs> more moral science in it than people think. Yes. Though I have no real knowledge of physics, I can appreciate the truth of that. I've been tempted to learn something of it, to make experiments with my own hands. To master science thoroughly, I believe one must take one's gloves off. Is that your opinion? You never said a truer word. But you can become a very respectable amateur by working with the gloves. Pray, should I ever carry out my intention of setting to work in earnest in science? Will you give me some lessons? Well, <laughs> I, I'd rather you came to me than another professor, but I don't think it'd suit you. Oh, you think not? <clears throat> Should we not walk on, Miss Carew? The ground will soon become excessively damp. Oh, yes, you are quite right. I... Allow me. Oh, 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 Mr. Byron. Oh, pray, place me immediately on my feet. Certainly, Miss Carew. Thank you. But pray, don't, don't do that again. It, it is a little humiliating to be lifted up like a child... You are very strong. Oh, there's not much strength needed to lift a featherweight like you. Seven stone, too, I judge. But there is great art in doing these things properly. I've often had to carry off a man of 14 stone, resting him all the time as if he was in a bed. Oh, I see you've had some hospital practice. I've often admired the skill with which trained nurses have handled their patients. Oh, shall we walk now? Here now. Cashel, Cashel. I, I do believe it is your man. Mellish, I told you not to follow me. Cashel, listen to reason. It is fair damp in the night air. <coughs> listen to that. It has brought back me heck. How long do you think you'll last if you get a chill? Oh, dear, I had no idea your health was in such critical condition, Mr. Byron. And I've been encouraging you to walk out in the evening's mist. He don't need no encouragement, ma'am. I leave it to you. Ought a man in his position endanger his chances? I should think not. Mellish, leave me alone. Mr. Byron, I insist that you return to the lodge. I, I cannot be responsible for any indisposition on your part. Very well, Miss Carew. I'm going to London on Friday. I shall see you again before then. I don't know. Perhaps to give me lessons in your profession. To do what? Never mind, Mellish. Good night, Miss Carew. Good night, Mr. Byron. Is that not Lord Worthington getting out of the train two compartments from our own? I believe it is. And, and Mr. Byron. Oh, his companion seems quite, quite under the influence. Mr. Byron seems quite sober, but most disheveled. See how his eyes seem discolored. 
I do hope he hasn't been in an accident. Ah, my own boy, Casual Byron. Again the world a catchway. You start <laughs> one of think you never won a bet in your life before. Byron. Byron. Yes, Maud. Fine, man. Splendid, man. You've won a bundle for me today. And you shall have a share of it, old boy. I trained him. I trained him. Oh, Bob Millish. He's the one who knows how to make the beef go and the muscle come. Now, Casual, you'll have to clap a beefsteak on that ogle of yours where you nip the Dutchman's auctioneer. <laughs> all right. He's all right. He's all right. I'll tell him all he's all right. <laughs> really, I must say, if those are Lord Worthington's associates, his tastes are very peculiar. Yes, I'm a fair linguist, but I didn't understand a single word of their conversation, though I heard it all very distinctly. They are not gentlemen. No, they are ruffians, and Cashel Byron is the most unmistakable ruffian of them all. It's pleasant to think that we shall be in gentler society this evening. At any rate, one in which the violence is somewhat intellectual. Have you ever attended one of Mrs. Hoskins' evenings, Alice? No, I'm afraid I haven't. The occasion is a special one. Herr Abengasser, a remarkable German sociologist and art critic, is to lecture. Be careful to refer to him in society as a sociologist and not as a socialist. Are you particularly anxious to hear him lecture? Oh, no doubt it will be very interesting. Because I had intended not to go till after the lecture. Herr Abengasser is enthusiastic and eloquent, but not original. So that unless you are especially interested, oh, I... All. Uh, if he's a socialist, I should rather not listen to him, particularly on a Sunday evening. Indeed, a sound reason. I wonder... Yes? I wonder what Cashel Byron would make of Herr Avantgarde's lecture. But, of course, he is not likely to be there. Of course, the speculation is quite frivolous. <laughs> Oh, Cashel, you were magnificent. Thank you, sir. Mellish, you must tell me... Mellish! Say, <laughs> he's sound asleep. As the Dutchman after you landed on his jaw, what? <laughs> uh, I dare say you'll be celebrating tonight, eh, Byron? I do not believe so, my lord. I've got a queer invitation. Uh, Mrs. Hoskins. Devilish odd. Here, listen, Byron. See what you make of it. At nine o'clock, Herr Abengasser will lecture. But I will not pay you the compliment of pretending to believe that that interests you. So you may come at ten or half past, at which time all the serious business of the evening will be over. Hm. How is that for cheek, eh, Byron? If any of your acquaintances take an interest in art, I would gladly make them welcome. Could you not bring me a celebrity or two? Dear Lord Worthington, if you can add an illustrious name or two to my list, by all means, do so. Infernal cheek. Byron, are you interested in art? Only my own art. Well, you shall come with me to Mrs. Hopkins. A real celebrity, eh? An illustrious name, eh? <laughs> Casual Byron. <laughs> See, Alice, we have arrived just in time. The lecture is over and the intelligent conversation has not yet begun. Worthington! Worthington! Oh, there you are. Oh, yes. What is it? 
Worthington, he's been making a speech before the whole room. Hmm? He got up the moment old Abengasser sat down. Oh, why the devil did you give him that glass of champagne, what? You don't say so. Well, come with me. Let's try to get him away quietly. Although I imagine he has a lot more to say than that moldy German fellow. Did you hear that? Something must have happened. Oh, I hope so. Ordinarily, the fault in these reception is that nothing happens. Come, Alice. An executive power. That's a very good expression, gentlemen. One I can tell you a lot about. It's Cashel Byron. And your cousin, Mr. Weber, is here. Suppose you walked along the street. Saw a man beating a woman, setting a bad example to the rough. Well, if you're a man, you'd like to save the woman. What is it that you need to know, then, in order to act up to your fine ideas? Well, you want to know how to hit him, when to hit him, and where to hit him, and then you want the nerve to go in and do it. Fighting is the power of self-preservation. Another man can't do it for you. I understand the German professor wants the poor to have their rights. All this struggling and strife to make the world better is a great mistake. Not because it isn't a good thing to improve the world if you know how to do it, but because striving and struggling is the worst way to set about doing anything. It gives man a bad style, weakens him. Really, sir? Lydia, your cousin. I think as you have now addressed us at considerable length, and as there are other persons present whose opinions probably excite as much curiosity as yours... Don't you be in a hurry, sir. You'll have your turn presently. So how much more of this nonsense must be endured? By Jove, Miss Carew. Webber, I'd better be careful. I wish you'd hold his tongue. Uh, you think it's nonsense, do you? Well, I say that your theory, if it can be called one, is manifestly absurd. Oh. Yeah. But just look at it this way. Suppose you wanted to hit me the most punishing blow you possibly could. What did you do? Why, according to your own notion, you'd make a great effort. And what had happened then? You'd only cut me and make me angry, besides exhausting your own strength at one gasp. Whereas, if you took it easy, like this. <laughs> there, neatly in the armchair across the room. It's just like pocketing a billiard ball. <laughs> Lord Worthington. Miss Carew, I'm dreadfully sorry, really. It is too bad of Byron, but your cousin Lucian was excessively nasty. He was in the wrong. Intolerant refusal to listen to an opponent is a species of violence that has no business in such a representative 19th century drawing room as Mrs. Hoskins. There was a fitness in rebuking it by skilled physical violence. Ah, Mr. Byron. Oh, hey, excuse me, the, the punch bowl is available. I haven't seen you in some time, Miss Carew. It is not very long since I saw you, Mr. Cashel Byron. I saw you yesterday at some distance from London. Oh. Oh, no, don't say that. You're, <laughs> you're joking, aren't you? Oh, no. You don't mean to say that you went to see a... a... When did you see me? At Clapham Junction on the railway platform. Oh. <laughs> I never saw you. We must have looked very queer. I'd... Uh... Had an accident to my eye, and Mellish wasn't sober. <laughs> Do you think I was in bad company? That was not my business, Mr. Cashel Byron. Oh, no. <laughs> what do you care what company I keep? You're angry with me because I made your cousin look like a fool, I suppose. You're a grown-up boy rather than a man. Yeah, I knew you'd be down on me. I wouldn't have said a word if I'd known that you were here. Lie down and be worked over, that's what you think I'm good for. Another man would have twisted his head off. 
be possible that you do not know that gentlemen do not twist each other's heads off in society, no matter how great may be the provocation? I know nothing. Everything I do is wrong. There, will that satisfy you? Will you answer me one question on your honor? You needn't hesitate. The question is this. Are you a simpleton or a man of science pretending to be a simpleton for the sake of mocking me and my friends? I am not mocking you. All that about science was only a joke. At least it's... Not what you call science. Perhaps you've attached yourself to the modern doctrine of a struggle for existence and look on life as a perpetual combat. A fight? Just so. What is life but a fight? The cures forfeit or get beaten, the rogues sell the fight, the game ones and the clever ones win the stakes and have to hand over the lion's share of them to the loafers. That's not the way they describe life in books, but that's what it is. Oddly put, but perhaps true. Still... Is not the world large enough for us all to live peacefully in? You may think so, because you were born with a silver spoon in your mouth. But if you hadn't a fight for that silver spoon, someone else had. And no doubt he thought it hard that it should be taken away from him and given to you. What do you know about such things? More than you think, perhaps. These are dangerous ideas to take with you into English society. Yeah. It would be more dangerous if I could give every man that's robbed of half of what he earns twelve lessons. In science. You can publish your lessons. Twelve Lectures in Political Economy by Cashel Byron. Oh, bless your innocence. The sort of political economy I teach can't be learned from a book. You've become an enigma again. You're just playing with me. May I be shot if I understand you. Come, is it because I raised a laugh against your cousin that you're so spiteful? I'll apologize to your cousin if you like. I don't like. I'll do it for you. I won't even ask whether there's anything between you and him. Would you like to know? We are friends, cousins. We are not engaged or at all likely to be. Oh. <laughs> I'm glad of it. He isn't man enough for you. But he's your equal, devil take him. He's my cousin and my sincere friend, I believe. Therefore, don't send him to the devil. You're still an enigma to me. Oh, I'm a pretty plain enigma, I should think. I'd rather have you than any other woman in the world. But you're too rich and grand for me. If I can't have the satisfaction of marrying you, I may as well have the satisfaction of saying I'd like to. I must be plain with you, Mr. Cashel Byron. I do not know who you are or what you are. And I believe you have tried to mystify me on both points. <laughs> Perhaps you think I'm a duke in disguise. If so, you may think better of it. If you had a secret, the discovery of which... Of which would cause you to be kicked out of society. You'd, you'd keep it pretty tight. Well, you'll find out fast enough. I'm as well known as Trafalgar Square, but I can't bring myself to tell you. So, let's drop it. Promise me you won't ask anybody? For the present, I will not ask. Uh, but I may change my mind. Adieu, Mr. Cashel Byron. <laughs> In a moment, Act Two of Cashel Byron's Profession, starring Angela Lansbury on the NBC Star Playhouse. Our program will continue after a 30-second pause for station identification. We 
We continue now with Act Two of the NBC Star Playhouse production of Cashel Byron's Profession, starring Angela Lansbury. Lydia? Uh, Lydia? Yes, Lucian? Um... It's a pleasant afternoon to drive in the park, is it not? Yes, yes, it is. I believe I remarked as much a moment since. Oh, yes, 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 so you did. Uh, Lydia, I, 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 I... What I... is the matter, Lucian? You've broken down twice in this speech. What, are you going to get married? Is that what ties your practice tongue? Oh, not unless you take part in the ceremony. Very gallant, my dear Lucian. There are differences in opinion between us, amounting to differences in principle. Oh, surely you're not serious. You have no opinions, Lydia. The impracticable crotchets you're fond of airing are not recognized in England as sane political convictions. Why do you not marry Alice Goff? Oh, hang Alice Goff. I'm serious, Lucian. So then you absolutely refuse me without a moment's consideration. Absolutely, Lucian. Does not your instinct warn you that it would be a mistake to marry me? No, I cannot say that it does. Then trust to mine, which gives forth no uncertain note on this question. I hope you are not offended. Offended? No, I assure you I'm not. Well, then, if you will stop the carriage, I shall get off. But where are you going? To the British Museum to read. What? Oh. Have I seen you before? Uh, Mr. Webber, I should not have taken the liberty to call upon you at your office. You may remember me. Miss Carew's footman. Oh, yes. Bash. Bill, yes. Is it something concerning Miss Carew? I have come, sir, upon my own responsibility this morning. I own that I'm stepping out of my place to do so, but I will risk that. Hmm. Mr. Webber, does Miss Carew know what the uh, Mr. Cashel Byron is that she receives every Friday with her other friends? Well, no doubt she does. What business is that of yours? Do you know what he is, sir? I only know him as a friend of Lord Weddington's. Byron is in the ring, sir. A common prizefighter. Are you sure of this, Bashville? Do you know that your statement is a very serious one? There is no doubt about it at all, sir. Go to any sporting house in London and ask who's the best fighting man of the day, and they'll tell you Cashel Byron. The sporting papers are full of him. He was even mentioned in the Times a month ago. Yes, I never read articles on such subjects. That's the way it is with everybody, sir. Miss Carew never thinks of reading the sporting intelligence in the papers. And so he passes himself off on her as her equal. I hope you won't think I'm here behind his back out of malice against him, sir. All I want is fair play. Uh, of course, of course, of course. If I passed myself off on Miss Carew as a gentleman, I should deserve to be exposed as a cheat. I think I have the right to expose him. I suppose this... Byron is a dangerous man to have any personal unpleasantness with? Uh, he knows his business, sir. He's beaten men of all sizes and weights. Oh. Uh, will Miss Carew be at home this afternoon between three and four? I have not heard of any arrangement of the contrary, sir. I will uh, telegraph you if she goes out. Thank you. Uh, good morning, uh, 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 Bashville. Uh, good morning, sir. Thank <laughs> you. 
Lydia, I must warn you as to the character of one of your guests. My dear Lucian, do you mean Monsieur Verne? If so, I must assure you that I'm perfectly aware that he is an ex exiled communard. You know that I don't approve of your strange fancies for nihilists, fenians, and other doubtful persons, but I think that even you might draw the line at a prize fighter. Cashel Byron? Ah, then you knew. I know nothing. Will you explain exactly to me what a prize fighter is? No, he is a man who fights for prizes. So does the captain of a man of war. There is no analogy whatever between the two cases. A prize fighter is usually a man of naturally ferocious disposition who has acquired some reputation among his associates as a bully and who by constant quarreling has acquired some practice in fighting. On the strength of his reputation, he may be engaged to fight some other pugilist. Bets are made, they meet and beat each other as savagely as they can until one or the other is too much injured to continue the combat. What would such a person be? I mean, before he becomes a prize fighter. Oh, perhaps a journeyman butcher, perhaps a tailor, a baker, generally a common laborer. And the end of a prize fighter? What is that like? Oh, he eventually drinks himself to death or bankruptcy. When he relapses into the laboring class with a ruined constitution, a disfigured face, a brutalized nature, and a tarnished reputation. Why did Lord Worthington introduce a man of this class to me? Because you asked him to. I do not defend Worthington, but discretion is hardly to be expected from him. Lucian, war is a cruel business, but soldiers are not necessarily bloodthirsty and inhuman men. I'm not quite satisfied that a prize fighter is a violent and dangerous man because he follows a violent and dangerous profession. I suppose they call it a profession... Have you found out anything about Mr. Byron personally? Is he an ordinary representative of his class? No. However, he took his leave from Australia after killing an Englishman who battled with him with desperate obstinacy for two hours. I'm informed that the particular blow by which he fell the poor wretch for the last time is known in pugilistic circles as Cashel's Killer. What would you have me do? Drop his acquaintance at once. Forbid him your house in the most explicit terms. I will do that. Not so much that he is a prize fighter, perhaps, but that he is an imposter. However, I should not want to call him here, be turned away and have him break the windows and be Bashville. I will warn the police if you feel anxious. I shall write him a note. So, dear Mr. Cashel Byron, I've just discovered your secret. I'm sorry, but you must not come again. Farewell. Yours faithfully, Lydia Carew. Bashville shall take it to the post. Miss Carew is not at home. You lie, it's all. Miss Carew cannot see anyone today. Go and ask her. I'm going to close the... Will you leave or shall I... I shall... I shall... Come one step further and I will... Miss Carew! Miss Carew! Miss Carew. Miss Carew, he... Bashville, what is it? I had better call for help. Bashville, close the window. I'll go downstairs myself. Oh, no. Byron is below and he insists upon seeing you, miss. He's too strong for me. I've done my best on my honor. I have. Let me call the police. I will see him in the library. Tell him so. Tell him to wait for me. We must not fail in courage when we have a prize fighter to deal with. with me? I don't wish to speak to you ever again. You told your servant to throw me down the steps. You may thank his lucky as his head on. 
Why are you going to give me up? Do you remember our conversation at Mrs. Hoskins? Yes. You admitted that if the nature of your occupation should become known to me, our acquaintance should cease. That has now come to pass. I didn't mean it. Who told you I was a fighting man? I had rather not tell you. I'm afraid to expose a friend to your resentment. I think it hard that I should be put out of decent society when fellows that do far worse than I are let in. You have a relation. A general. Isn't it his pride and boast that so long as he's paid so much a day, he'll ask no questions whether a war is fair or unfair? Last year, he was up to his chin in the blood of a lot of poor natives that were no more a match for his armed men than a featherweight would be for me. Plenty of your friends go pigeon shooting to Earlingham. There's a human and manly way to spend a Saturday afternoon. Do you think foxes like to be hunted? Or the people who hunt them have such fine feelings they can afford to call prizefighters names? And all these soldiers, pigeon shooters and fox hunters are made welcome here. Why am I shut out like a brute beast? Mr. Cashel Byron, I cannot discuss this with you. Society has a prejudice against you. I share it. I cannot overcome it. Can you find no nobler occupation than these fierce and horrible encounters by which you condescend to earn a living? No, I can't. That's just where it is. I may talk like your friends, but that's because my mother was an actress. That's all she gave me. Talk. Were you not a journeyman, butcher or laborer, as my cousin told me? Well, that lantern jawed fellow told you that I was a butcher? I did not mean to betray him, but I am bad at keeping secrets. May I rest assured that he has nothing to fear from you? Uh, I wish your cousin had held his confounded tongue. I wish you had forestalled him by telling him the truth. I didn't dare run the chance of losing you. See how soon you forbade me the house when you did find it. What would you propose, Mr. Cashel Byron? To visit my house in the intervals between battering and maiming butchers and laborers? No, certainly not. I can't stay much longer in the ring because no one can match me. Now, look, I expect to be worth 10,000 pounds when I retire. That's 500 a year. Well, I suppose you're worth as much more. So if you'll marry me, we shall have 1,000 a year between us. <laughs> That's a straight business-like proposal, isn't it? And if I refuse... Then you may have the 10,000 pounds to do what you like with. It won't matter what becomes of me. Well, I'm afraid you're mistaken as to the amount of my income. Oh, hang the money. I am richer than you suppose. My income is about 40,000 pounds. 40,000? I didn't think the Queen had so much as that. I see I've been making a fool of myself. I am at least grateful because you have sought me for my own sake, knowing nothing of my wealth. Well, it is a settler for me. It, it's knocked me out, so it is. I shan't come up again. The sooner the sponge is chucked up in my corner, the better. So, goodbye. Goodbye. Since you'll have it so. There are certain scruples between us. You'll not court a woman a hundredfold richer than yourself, and, and I'll not entertain a prize fighter. My wealth frightens every man who is not a knave, and your profession frightens every woman who is not a fury. Then you... Just tell me this. Suppose I were a rich swell and were not... No. Any... I will not suppose anything but what is. But if only you hadn't been kind to me. I think the reason I love you so much... Is that you're the only person who's not afraid of me? It's a lonely thing to be a champion. It is also a lonely thing to be a very rich woman. We two have at least one experience in common. 
Now, do me a great favor by going. We have nothing further to say. Come in. I beg your pardon, Miss Carew. What is it, Bashville? I know you left orders not to be disturbed while you were writing here. You're mistaken, Bashville. It was not the desire for privacy that decided me to establish my study in the Warren Lodge. But every room at the castle is either domed, vaulted, gilded, or galleried, three-sided or six-sided. I find the effect disturbing to English prose. Uh, yes. Miss Carew, as you know, I have not taken my half-holidays for the six weeks we've been back at the castle. Do you want to take this afternoon, Bashville? Yes, miss. You may have it. Oh, Bashville. Yes, miss? The road seems quite thronged today. The crush of carriages. Do you know why? Uh, uh, no, miss. Is there a race or a fair or any such thing in the neighborhood? Not that I'm aware of, miss. Very well, Bashville. You may go. Whatever is happening out there. Unless I'm mistaken, that is a constable. Don't worry, I won't hurt you. Oh. Oh, it's you. Mr. Byron, I, I hardly recognized you. Have you been in an accident? I didn't know there was anyone here. The police are after me. I fought for an hour and run over a mile, and I'm dead beat. I can go no further. Look, let me hide in the back room and tell them you haven't seen anyone. Well, what have you done? Why are the police pursuing you? Why are you in such dreadful condition? It's all right. I'm all right. That's his blood on me. Just out of breath. Well, you asked me to shelter you, but what have you done? Have you committed a murder? No. I tell you, I've been fighting and it's illegal. You don't want to see me in prison, do you? Confound him. I pounded him till my arms were tired. I might as well hit a sack of nails. All my money, my training, my time gone. <clears throat> it's enough to make a man cry. How dare you come to me? Very well, I'll go. There isn't a boy in your stable that'll give me up like that. Oh, go quickly. Now it's too late. Quickly, go in the other room and, and keep quiet if you can. Come on up. We know you're in there. Hit it with your shoulder, Bert. Oh, where are you now? We... Did you knock, Constable? Oh, I ask your pardon, miss. Did you happen to see anyone pass hereabouts lately? I saw him come this way, I tell you. Do you mean a man dressed only in uh, nether garments? That's him, miss. Which way did he go? I will show you in which direction. I tell you, she knows me. I'm a respectable man. Keep a close hold on him, Bert. Things have come to a pretty pass when an Englishman is running to stop him when he sees a crowd. Huh. Now, perhaps you might drop a hint of where those ropes and stakes are hid. Yeah, need them for evidence, don't you? Well, there ain't no ropes and stakes. I tell you, I just stopped to see what the crowd was about. Was there really a crime committed, Constable? We caught him in flagrante delicto. Now, miss, if you'll tell me which way that ruffian run. That way, Constable, through the woods. Thank you, miss. All right, everybody, after him. We'll run him into the ground. But you keep hold of that drum belt, and... They're gone, Mr. Byron. Thank you. I could not have run another step. Well, what are you going to do? Mr. Cashel Byron, let me never see you again. The very foundations of my life are loosened. I have told a lie. That is what has to come to me out of our acquaintance. 
I have given you a hiding place. Keep it and never come out again. Yes? Uh, there is a... a... A man to see you, Miss Carew. A man? His name is Mellish. I believe he is but lately released on bail from the village magistrates. Show him in, Bashville. But, Miss Carew... Show him in. Mr. Mellish. Good morning, Miss Carew. What did you wish of me, Mr. Mellish? It is casual. He gave himself up, you know, just after he left the lodge. You should have seen him at the police station. He didn't even speak up to the coppers. Beat he is. Beat like Billy Paradise couldn't do it in an hour with bare knuckles. What has that got to do with me? It's what you said to him, miss. It's gone to his heart, and he's dying. Men do not die of such things. Mr. Cashel Byron is not so deficient either in robustness of body or hardness of heart as to be an exception to that rule. You can't believe that he has any feelings because he fights. He is like a young child, he is. His feelings are that easily touched. Are they? Did Mr. Byron ask you to come? Oh, he'd have died first. I come on my own accord, knowing what was the matter with him. And what is the matter with him? He's in love, that's what. It's worse than drink for a fighting man. One word from you might save him, miss. If I might just tell him... Tell him nothing. Oh, it's cowardice. That's what it is. Cashel stood up to any man of any weight, of any stake over 500 pounds, and you won't stand up to him. Oh, it's cowardice. Are you implying that I'm afraid to speak to Mr. Byron? Well, are you not? Because I'm appalled at the brutality of his profession and choose not to see him again does not mean that I'm afraid of him. Ah, backing down, that's what it is. I've heard men weaseling out of a fight before. I am not weaseling. Will you talk to him? Very well, Mr. Mellish. You may tell Mr. Byron that I will receive him once. I'll tell him, Miss. Mr. Mellish, does Mr. Byron ever think? Think? Never. There isn't a more cheerful lad in existence, Miss. I shall expect him. Lydia. Lydia, are you all right? Are you unharmed? Oh, my dear cousin Lucian, why should I be harmed? Well, I, I just heard of the disgraceful incident here. Naturally, I came down from London at once. To think that this wild beast, Cashel Byron, has been received in your house. I, I, I shudder. Do you, Lucian? I believe I'm going to marry him. You, you, you what? If he asks me again, I've made up my mind to marry him. Oh, oh. Oh, you oh. may take a chair if you like, Lucian. Oh. Oh. I recommend the chair. Uh. But, but, but why? Do you remember once, Lucian, you presented me with a copy of Scott's Ivanhoe as being more suitable for a young lady's reading than Goethe? Uh, Lydia, I cannot talk of literature now. I read Ivanhoe. Do you know something? He was a prize fighter. The first half of the book is a description of a prize fight. I wonder whether some romance of the 24th century will hunt out the exploits of my husband and present them to the English 19th century of Achilles with all the glee and antiquity upon his death. Oh. Lydia, is this man worthy of you? Could you not marry a gentleman? All the gentlemen I know are either amateurs of the arts, having the egotism of professional artists without their ability, or they are men of pleasure, which means they are dancers, tennis players, butchers of foxes and gamblers. Indeed, I am not influenced by class prejudice in the matter, but a man of the lower orders, illiterate, 
Ruff, awaiting this moment a disgraceful sentence at the hands of the law. I have spoken to Lord Worthington about his trial, and he assures me that the matter can be, as he phrased it, uh, squared. But if they imprison him, it will make no difference. He can console himself by the certainty that I will marry him at once the moment he is released. But why, Lydia? You are appalled by his profession. I find Cashel Byron honest and brave and strong and beautiful. The truth, in short, is this. I practically believe in the doctrine of hereditary, and as my body is frail and my brain more madly active, I think my impulse toward a man of strong in body and untroubled mind is a trustworthy one. After seeing half the culture of Europe, I despair of finding a better man. Uh, what does he say? I, I haven't told him yet. I expect him within the hour. So I must ask you to leave, Lucian. Mr. Cashel Byron. Come in, Mr. Byron. I wanted to know that I had nothing to do with Mellish coming here. In fact, I told him I'd knock off his head if he did. I trust you haven't. I only want to say one thing. I'm not good at sentiment. I want to marry you. And I will. But I have to break the neck of every swell in London first. Oh, well, that's just the kind of talk that set you against me in the first place, so I might as well throw up the sponge. I shan't waste your time. Wait, Mr. Byron. See here. Won't you marry me? I'm... Not such a fool as you think, and you'll like me better after a while. Look, I'll swear never to fight again. Will you? It can't be that you're afraid of me because I was a prize fighter. Afraid of you? No, I'm afraid of myself, afraid of the future, afraid for you. But my mind is already made up on this subject. Yeah, I thought it would be. Shan't bother you again. Cashel Baron. Oh, Cashel Byron. But I will. I, I will marry you, Cashel. I, I will. You, you what? I will marry you. I'm determined to marry you, if you will ask me again. Oh. Lydia. Cashel, we are the silliest lovers in the world, I believe. We know nothing about it. I think perhaps we are expected to, to kiss. Are we? Well... I don't know how. Oh, oh, neither do I. Well, Cashel, it is a science of which we are both ignorant. We shall have to give each other lessons. I propose that we commence at once. You have been listening to the NBC Star Playhouse production of Cashel Byron's Profession, starring Angela Lansbury. NBC Star Playhouse, partly transcribed, is a production of the NBC Radio Network in association with Gale and Adams. Supervised by William Welch and directed by Andrew C. Love. Your announcers, Fred Collins and John Wall. This is the NBC Radio... Welcome back. An interesting play, and I think it does come down to Shaw's dialogue, probably a lot less than the plot. plot wasn't particularly original, but the dialogue and the way it was written ultimately does make it uh, entertaining. And I think Lansbury had to enjoy delivering some of the lines she got in this particular play. 
Dan O'Herlihy played opposite Lansbury, and it's interesting to note that he was actually in the one of the first episodes of Murder, She Wrote from Season 1. I just watched it a few weeks ago, so it was kind of neat to see how they were actually reuniting and had known each other through all of these years when he appeared on Murder, She Wrote, and he would actually appear in a later episode of that series. Final thoughts as we wrap up the summer of Angela Lansbury. Well, I won't lie and say that every single program we've done has been to my taste or was the best written thing ever. The writing quality has varied quite uh, quite a bit, though I think most of them were pretty good. What really does impress me, though, is just the wide variety of different roles that Lansbury uh, played over radio. Uh, whether it was a couple of Jane Austen heroines, a scientist, a spy, a writer, a murderess with no face. She takes all of these different roles and really, I think, plays them all beautifully, which is a testament to her talent as an actor and how well she was respected in the industry at what was the beginning of a very long career that continues to this day. All right, well, that will actually wrap it up, and we will be back about Labor Day time as we return to our holiday series of programs. In the meantime, send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.